Well, as you're turning back to 2 Timothy 3.16, let me read two verses for you. Verses 16 and 17 again. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I can't think of a, of a greater desire that you would want to be a, a man or a woman of God that would be equipped, that would be ready for every good work. And so the question is, well, well how? Well, this is the blueprint. It's, it's through Scripture. Earlier in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we were reading about in the, last, in the last days, difficult times will come. Why will difficult times come? Well, they're going to come because people are going to be lovers of themselves, arrogant and gossips. I, I think it's fair to say that each and every one of us in this room have, have been some kind of victim of somebody who was, who was arrogant, who was uh, a gossip, who was, because they only loved themselves, they only cared about themselves, they only sought out their own desires, their own selfish desires, created conflict in, in your life. Um, they're not lovers of God. We're surrounded with people who deny God, even openly mock God now. Evil men, imposters even, people who will be imposters, that means they're, they're counterfeits. There will be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. Again, this is more of a criticism to the church. I mean, who cares about doctrine outside of the church, right? But then even inside the church, they, 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 they don't want sound doctrine. Well, then what do they want? They want their ears tickled. It's that idea of tell me what I want to hear. I, I, I want to go to church. I want to go to the Bible like it's a buffet. I want to pick and choose only the parts I like. And so I've mentioned this before, one of the... You know, the, the greatest wicked habits we see of our time is we're just going to completely eliminate sin and Satan and hell. Because those, we don't want to talk about that stuff. So we're just going to take that and remove that from, from preaching, from the Bible. We're just not going to talk about it. How do you talk about the greatest gift of all, which is the forgiveness of your sin so that you can be included in heaven for eternity without mentioning the other side. But it happens. They will turn from truth to myths. It, it, it's, it's insane how many times I will hear references now to Greek and Roman mythology as though that's actually more true than, than Christianity. In fact... When was the last time you heard a, a secular person even mention God or the Bible as any kind of foundation for biblical truth at all? I mean, just, just take proverbial sayings, right? But 
they know that if they even take any truth from the Bible, then they're giving some credence to the Bible, some credence to God, to Christianity, so they would rather turn from truth to myths. Well, the problem is, is that we are so surrounded by these imposters or counterfeits that we don't even know the difference sometimes. Uh, the, the way uh, an expert in, in counterfeiting money laundering, the way they, uh, not the laundering itself, but the, the, the printing of, of new money, because that is still a thing, believe it or not, is, is they don't study all the different types of, of wrong counterfeit bills. They, they study the right bill. They know the bill so well that they, they can tell by the touch. They, they could do it with their eyes closed. They can do it with their, by smelling it. Do, are, are we that way with, with biblical truth? You know, from the beginning, and, and part of my study in seminaries, we, we looked at some of those other writings because in the, in the first, second centuries, there were other writings. There's the Gospel of Thomas, you know, the Gospel of Barnabas, the, the Didache, you know, you, you, you prior are familiar with the Apocrypha. And it's very interesting because when you're saturated in the Word of God and then you read something else, you can tell right away, this, this isn't the same. There's something off with this. Even though it may be historically accurate or you know, of its time and well-intentioned and meaning, it's, it's not biblical. Um, and so, back in... This time, in fact, we even see in Deuteronomy warnings about not adding or subtracting from the law. We see the same thing in the book of Revelation. Um, but there's a battle. There's a battle that we're, we're under. And that battle has always been, from the very, very beginning, the, the, the truth, the veracity of God's word. This, this is what, what Satan does in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did, did God really say so he's going to try to twist and turn God's word, right? He's going to distort it. Why? So if he can distort it, then he can create doubt. If he creates doubt, now he can start denouncing God. And now he can start getting people to go a different route. There's tons of other religions and other religious books to, to draw from. There's a lot of different philosophies and psychologies that, that people draw from. We even see within, I mentioned the picking and the choosing like a buffet or, you know, one of the big uh, movements nowadays is the idea of contextualization. Well, this is the 21st century. So we, we have to put that in context to, to today. Now, the funny thing that I find with that is, well, even today, if you go all over the world, we have different cultures. We have diff people who live very, very differently. So how do you put... 21st century into the different context using contextualization. So one of the examples would be, again, right now we're, we're in battle with the whole concept and idea with the homosexuality and all that stuff. Well, it's changed now, right? Well, according to contextualization, it's changed. The real question then is, well, is, is, is God's word still good? I mean, is it? Is it sufficient? Is it right? And so if it is, then, then, then this would be a treasure to you. If it's not, then eh, you're just kind of 
look at it and like I said, you, you pick out a couple things that you like and maybe cling to. But do you take this whole thing and, and, and saturate your life and your soul with it? If you believe in it. So, we, we have a problem. We have a problem. And our problem is, is that to, to the extent that we understand that this is God's Word. This is God's Word. And the whole foundation of our Christianity, the whole foundation of everything we believe is, is in this Word. Do not divert from it. Don't divert, divert from it. And so as we're kind of going through our little summer series here, there, there's nothing more essential than, than for you to understand that this is where truth lies. It, it doesn't lie within the things that I, I'm, I'm guessing at or my hopes or my desires. When I give an instruction, if, it, if it's not from the Word of God, then, then it's just a human instruction. We see in Romans 1.16 that there will be some that will be ashamed of the gospel. Now think about that. Why would one be ashamed of the gospel? Well, when you start talking about the idea of, of believing in Jesus Christ having died, been buried, and raising from the dead... Maybe you shy away from that. Or that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus Christ is the incarnate living God of the triune Godhead. Well, maybe you start hedging back from that. But when you start hedging back, then, then you're ashamed of what this book is teaching. That is Christianity 101. If you don't like that, then well, then it's not Christianity. It could be something else. But don't change Christianity say, well, we don't all believe in that. Well, that's what this book teaches over and over and over again, very, very clearly. We're warned in Colossians 2.8 to, to not be drawn, not be taken away captive, which is that idea of being held prisoner by philosophies and traditions of men and elementary principles. And you think elementary principles. Well, these are the guys that go to college and, 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 and are, have doctorate degrees and, you know, PhDs and all that kind of thing. And yet they can't figure out. They just can't get past the idea that, that this, that this right here is not as complicated as this human body right here or the earth. And, and if I were to present a paper in, in any college campus, in any scientific realm, and say, this came out of nowhere. I would be laughed out of the building. And yet, this is what's taught every single day, that we just came out of nowhere. The whole earth. People. Um, we're told every day now. Every day. We can see pictures. We have ultrasounds of, of heartbeats. We can tell the sex of babies, but that's not a human. That's not a baby. And yet we're still want to look at these people as though they're intellectual experts. Okay, we don't believe them here, but we read all their books and we want to attend their colleges and their schools. And we want to believe them here. We just don't believe them over there. It's the same people. It's the same crowd. The crowd that's forsaken the real truth. 
it used to be a time where, where men of science would, would sit in understanding that there was a God, there was a creator, and that there was rule, and that there was order, would take that presupposition and, and look at design and say, okay, there has to be a reason why gravity works. There has to be a way to use this electricity. And then like Benjamin Franklin or Isaac Newton would take biblical principles and a biblical understanding of God's word and apply it to science. And it worked beautifully. Why does this happen? Well, predominantly because in our era of time, we live in this epic, uh, this epic of time called postmodernism. There is no absolute truth. That, that's the reigning you know, call. There's no absolute truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Sounds really, really neat philosophically. You know what? You do what makes you happy. I'll do what makes me happy. Doesn't that sound good? So what makes me happy is eat thy neighbor. What makes you happy is love thy neighbor. How do we coexist? This is real. There are people who believe in this. So we laugh, but who's to say what's right and wrong? Why is it wrong to eat thy neighbor? Who says? What empirical force says you cannot do that without a standard? If there is no moral absolute being, then there's no moral absolute law, no moral absolute standard, then there's no moral absolutes. So if I don't want to believe in absolutes, I don't want anybody telling me what I can or can't do, I don't want anybody judging me, right? Then I, then I start erasing Okay, let's erase moral law, absolute law. Well, then I got to take the next step up, and then before you know it, it all gets erased. Of course, these geniuses don't really believe in that, because if they did, they would step out in front of a car and find out real soon that, you know what, their opinion doesn't matter, that there are absolutes in the world, that if you stand in front of a, of a big truck, it'll run you over and kill you. So, how do we understand who we are? Who are we? Why are we here? Where do we come from? What's our point? What's our purpose? Right? Well, this is why we're in such turmoil. And, and we're in even worse turmoil in the church because we, we've blended these ideas together and we've, we've put them all in the same pot and we've dabbled some postmodernism into the church and into theology and into doctrine and then you put a little shame of the gospel in there too and you start coming out with all kinds of different beliefs and teaching and so today what we want to do is we want to we want to learn how to how to understand God how to listen to God we talked a little bit about prayer and you know how do you listen to God God is speaking to us through his word thus saith the Lord over and over again in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord, this book was not written by men. And we'll go through that in a little bit. And so today we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.16. And we're going to look at three reasons why the Bible is so important. The three reasons why the Bible is so important because all Scripture is sufficient. All of Scripture is sufficient. Number two, all Scripture is God-breathed. And number three, all scripture is profitable. So back to the book. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. As I mentioned before, this is profitable for what? For teaching. If you want to teach, if you want to learn, if you want instruction, real instruction, real education, then this is your book. I mentioned earlier, if you want to know and understand science, do you know this is the only scientific book that's never been rewritten? I was in, in you know, education for a while. Curriculum, books, these books get changed all the time. They're constantly changing history and science books over and over and over again. Not this book. This book has, has been on the forefront of science. It, it, the Bible is talking about the hydration of, of how water works before anybody even understood what that meant. The, the Bible is talking about how, how the, the sun and the moon rise before anybody even understood what that is. That the earth was you know, not flat, right? Where dinosaurs come from, where they go. I mean, what, what this book talks about scientifically has never changed. Never. Now, it's not a scientific book, so it's not all-encompassing. This book was not designed to teach people how to fly planes, right? It's not an engineering book. But when it speaks to science, it's always right. When it talks about geography, it's always right. The, the Bible for years has mentioned people and places and tribes and people that they never heard of. And then for a hundred years, they mock the Bible and say, these people never exist, and then they find something. Oh, I guess that tribe did live there. And so this book is, is, is important for real education. Again, if you don't understand how we got here, I mean, you look at just the, the conversation with evolution versus creation, that, that changes the whole ballgame. The whole ballgame. It's profitable for correction. You and I need correction. We need adjustments, just like everything else. We're no different than the machines that we drive around. You, you need tinkering. You need oil. You need new brake pads, right? We, we need correction. We need adjustments. And then what is, when we make those corrections, what, where do we get back to? Where's the standard? What's the rod? The standard and the rod is God's word. How do I know what's right and wrong? How do I know how to treat my wife, my children? How do I know? Where do I go to? What is love? The world doesn't even know what love is. Listen to what they say what love is. Better yet, watch a movie. They'll tell you what love is in a movie. Love is this lustful, passionate, carnal desire. That's what love is. And so they can show it in two minutes. Boom! We just showed that these two people really love each other. That's not what love is. For reproof, that idea of reproof is, it's the idea of shining it back up, okay? The, the, the correction that goes to, okay, let's shine that back up. Let's get that to that, that perfect right state. Again, because of our sin, because of the trials, because of the world around us and the difficulties, it, we're, there's going to be bumps, bruises, scratches, scars, breaks, tears. And we need reproof. And then finally, which should be all of our desire for training in righteousness. If you're a believer, if, if, if you're a follower of, of Jesus Christ, 
there should be a desire in you to be holy like he's holy, to be perfect like he's perfect, to be like Jesus, to follow him. That's the standard he set, knowing, yes, yes, we, we, we are not perfect, but we've got a plan for that too, right? We've got grace and we've got mercy in place, ready to go to, to protect you. But the goal is righteousness. The goal is righteousness. And again, in today's, who said that we're not supposed to try to be perfect and holy? And I'm sure that some of you, when I said that, went, no, that's, no, I'm not going there. Why not? Why is your desire not to be righteous? Just because you know you have grace and mercy? Be careful how you trample on God's grace. We learned that in when we studied Hebrews, right? So we are to desire this, this training in righteousness. And Scripture is the direction. So, when we look at this word all, all has one of these very, very complex deep meanings it means all it means the whole thing each and every part that means every single page here in scripture every page every jot every tittle is important now you may not understand that and it, and, and maybe today it doesn't seem to have the application but but i promise you i i've I've been studying this book now since about 18 years old. And, and to my shame and to, to this book's glory, I can start back on Genesis and read again. And I will find things that I'll look at and go, I never saw that. My wife will laugh at me sometimes. We're studying you know, Hebrews and the anchor of the soul. You know? And it's like, I, I know I've read it. So I've, I took a class in seminary. On Hebrews, the exegesis of Hebrews, we studied every single word. And I'm looking at that going, that is the most amazing. I love that statement. That Jesus Christ is the anchor of my soul. Right? What a beautiful illustration. And I never hear it. I never hear that. Like a ship and it's my anchor. and That's what anchors me in life is Jesus Christ. But all Scripture... All of it is important, even though you may not understand it. That's why we read it over and over and over again. And the more I read it, the more I'm enthused and excited about it, and the more that God's Word has its way with me, which is what we want. I don't go to the Word to change the Word. The Word changes me. All of it. I mentioned earlier Deuteronomy 4.2, Revelation 22. We are not to add to this book or subtract from it. That's how special this book is. It's called Scripture. What is Scripture? It's just the, the Greek word here is graphe. It means, it means the inerrant holy writings. That means that, means that, that this book is not just a book. And it wasn't intended to be just a book. This, this was intended to be a spiritual, a spiritual, a miraculous process. Why? Because it's given to us by the Lord God Almighty Himself. 
So because it's given by God, this is infallible. That means there's no fallacy. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing is wrong in this book. It's right. 66 different books, 34 different authors, uh, over 1,500 years. This book has never been proven wrong, ever. There's questions, there's doubts, but it's never been proven wrong. Why? Because it's God's perfect, inerrant, holy word. That's what makes it scripture. It's God's holy writings. And then it's sufficient. It's, what does that mean? It's, it's useful. The, the, this, this isn't just like poetry that's, you know, so fluffy. You don't even know what it means, but it sounds good, right? No, th- this is sufficient for, for your, your daily li- living. Again, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, right? Why? So that you can be equipped. This is sufficient in its extent, its scope, it's enough, it's ample, it's abundant, it's plenty, it's all you need. The Gnostics, maybe some of you are a little bit familiar with the Gnostics and Gnosticism and and that great heresy in in, in early biblical times. The, The best way to summarize them is, here's a group of people that believed in, in the Bible and the scriptures, but plus one, but, but more too. And for them, they wanted the Bible and the secret hidden meetings. And nowadays, you know, you can go find secret Bible codes and things like that all the time. That really just comes out of the Gnostic tradition, which means not only do we need this, this book and okay, yeah, we believe in all of scripture, all of the Bible and, and that it's scripture, but but it's not completely sufficient. It's, there, there's still a lot of stuff out there that, that we need. There's hidden meetings. Again, that just comes right out of, out of Satan's playbook. Um, to add more than to what's here. And of course, who has the secret answer to more? Well, the speaker, right? The man standing in front of you. The guy writing the book. But no, all scripture is completely sufficient. There's, look, there, there's no magic pill to stop sin, okay? There's no magic pill to stop sin. We need to learn to call sin what it is. There, there are literal physical ailments that, that are legitimate, and there's other things that are just bad behavior that need to be corrected by training in righteousness, by understanding what right and what wrong is. And then obeying the scriptures. And so where do we go for, for wisdom and truth? Well, we go to the book that gives us the sufficiency. We trust in this book. We follow this book. Again, you guys, you know what? We're, we're, we're in a battle right now over this, this definition of, of marriage. The Bible addressed that in the, in the first two chapters. In the first two chapters, it's addressed. Why, why is there confusion? There should be no confusion. And look at where we're heading. You think it's bad today. What's going on? It's, it's about to get crazy. I know you think, well, I thought, I thought it was crazy right now. This is just scratching the beginning. 
They're so brilliant, they don't even know how to identify what a male and female is anymore. That's how smart these people are. This book sufficiently answers those questions. If you get off the rails, it'll go to crazy train really fast. Really fast. Well, the second reason why the Bible is important, first is because it's sufficient. All of it's sufficient. But this is, how does that work? It's because this is God-breathed. God-breathed. The idea here of inspired by God in the Greek is, it's God-breathed. This is His voice. This is from God. It's divinely inspired. Exodus 21, the the Ten Commandments, begins with, with God spoke these words. They weren't Moses' laws. These are God's words being spoken. God breathed. Isaiah 59, 21 explains it this way. I will put the words in your mouth. 2 Samuel 23, 2, 3 says, The words of David spoke by the Spirit. When, when we talk about the 66 authors, this is just the men that God used to pen his work. But the Bible's very, very clear who the author is. Very clear. Over and over again. 1 Peter 1, 20, 21. No scripture is of one's own interpretation. Why? Because it's not made by the act of a human, but moved by the Holy Spirit. So, so my job is, is to study God's word and to understand what God has to say. This is what God has to say. Not what I want it to say. It's not open for my interpretation. That's a false way of, of viewing it. And so one of the, the, the things that I don't do very often is I don't say, and Paul said, and Matthew said, and Luke said. Why? Because it's not from them. It's, it's like intellectual property, right? Who, who gets the credit for, for creating the intellectual property? Not the the engineer, the guy who actually put it together, it's, it's the guy who thought about it and designed it. That's the, the, real, the, the real owner of the property. And so, this is why God's word doesn't return void, because it's from him and not from a man. And the authority then, being that it's been God-breathed, is all God's. It's not mine. It's not a male's. One of the big arguments we have nowadays, oh, the, the, the Bible was written by men. The, the Bible's bias against women. There, there, there is no greater advocate for women's rights and for women flourishing than, than a true biblical design. Now, when you distort it, well, then again... Things get crazy. But when you stick to the biblical mandate, there is an absolute beautiful harmony in the biblical way. Just just look at marriage itself. Look at the family. The, The family and marriage itself, when you have a husband and a wife and they work together as a team, as a as a helpmate, right? Um one bringing different gifts than the other. That's that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I love what we saw in the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, when the Israelites were 
taken out of Israel and they were held captive. And, and you know what they didn't have for a long time? They didn't have the scriptures. And, and I think sometimes we're, we, we suffer from, we're, we're too spoiled. We have too much. I mean, all of us have, you know, four or five different Bibles in our, in our, you know, in our houses individually. And are any of them getting read? Um, and so they imagine a whole nation being without the scriptures, without the scriptures. And then they get the scriptures and they, 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 go, you know, they go before Ezra. And this is a whole congregation, a whole nation. They're bring the book. And you know what they do? They have them read it and read it out loud as they stand and listen to God's word. Could you imagine not having this? You think we're confused and lost now? Try it without this book. Try defending your Christian position without the Bible. I'm nothing without the Bible. Nothing. I don't want to be anything without the Bible. I don't want to be somebody who comes up with something new. This is a new doctrine. This is a new theology. This is a, a new idea. No, I, I just want to... I, I believe God's Word is sufficient. I believe it's from God Himself. I just want to teach what God has given us. He's, he's given us a lot. It's a lot thicker than the Communist Manifesto. Um, there, there's a lot here. There's a lot of details here. One of the things I hear a lot in some new sermons and stuff is... You know, I mentioned this before. You know, you'll hear a, a statement like this, and it doesn't sound as it's flowing in the speech, and it, and it and it flows real nice and pretty. You'll hear something like, you know, we we have a better story. We have a better story than just you know the the biblical account of the Bible. We have a we have a better story because we have eyewitnesses who were there, and the eyewitnesses who were there, they wrote down what happened during the days of Jesus. Now that doesn't sound wrong, right? The eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were there. They authored, they were part of the process of writing the New Testament. But see, that's the problem is they're not the authors. God is the author. And in the subtlety of the words there is, is transferring, you know what, the power of the story of the resurrection is in the story of the resurrection by people who were there. That's not where the power of the story is. The power of the story, we, we went through Psalm 22. We went through Isaiah 53. God was talking about resurrection for a thousand years before it ever happened. He didn't need eyewitnesses. He didn't need men. But see, we subtly take it off of, why not say, God said, thus saith the Lord. Are, are we ashamed to say that? Um, Again, we have to be careful when we said Paul says, Matthew says, Luke, Luke the doctor says. I, I don't need the, the affirmation of Luke being a, a doctor to make me believe in the Bible. It doesn't matter if he's a, a doctor or, or a tax gatherer, sheep herder. I heard this statement the other day. At the beginning of the sermon, if you're not a Christian today, well, at the end of this sermon, you're going, to, you're going to be glad that you weren't. You know, and I thought about that. I thought, well, I'm, I'm being critical, right? I'm being too, too critical. But, but again, think about that. Why, would we, why, why, do, why, why do we take this time here and turn this into the comedy hour? 
And believe me, I have to be careful with that too. It's like, you know what? I, I, I have a good time. I like to laugh. But this is a serious time. This is a very serious time. Why? Because this is the handling of God's word. And the idea that, you know, I have to apologize for the things that are, I don't have to, I have to apologize for me. I have to apologize for when my ideas don't line up with biblical ideas, not the other way around. And I'm, and I'm hearing way too many preachers nowadays that are apologizing for biblical, clear biblical positions. Why? Because they don't line up with politics. I, I, I don't back away from what God's word says and never would I even begin to think or suggest that following and obeying God's word would be is is worse than being a believer and following and obeying God's word. It'd be better if you weren't a believer because then you don't have to listen, you don't have to believe. I, I can't think of of a statement just At the end of today, if you if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you haven't confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that that Jesus is is the Son of God, if you are not one who who believes that that all truth comes from this book, then I would hope that that would change. When I preach each and every time, I don't care where I am, my greatest goal and desire is to get people excited about going back to this word, to, to reading more about what, what the Bible has to say, not listen to me longer. There's so much that, that, that the Bible has to say about, about Scripture itself. I, I, I take notes in my Bible and I mark cross-reference verses and and this page is marked more than any other page I have because God's word is so powerful in it and it talks about itself that way over and over and over again. Why? Our third point, because all, all of God's word that's breathed by God is profitable. All of it's profitable. What is profitable means? It means it's beneficial to you. It's useful. It's valuable. It has worth. The, the Psalms will talk about it as, as treasure. Of all the things that you have in life, of the things that you think are valuable, what's the most valuable thing in your life, in your world? For me, it's right here. And I've known this for years. This is why if something happens, if you know the house is burning down, if if there's some kind of, you know, apocalyptic whatever, this is what I'm going for. And this alone. That's why I have things in my Bible as I take notes in my Bible. I've got songs in my Bible. I've, why? Because this is what I'm going to cling to. And this alone. This is my treasure. This is how I'm going to raise my family. This is how I'm going to conduct business. It has value. It has worth. I, I can't even begin to understand what real truth is. We can't even define what, what marriage is, what family is, how to raise kids, anything nowadays. It, it's, it's mind-boggling to listen to people parenting nowadays. They're just, they're just winging it. And being in, in education and then seeing the, 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 
the families that come through and all these different philosophies that they, I guess, thought they would just try out. Well, we got to see the kids. Doesn't work very well. Doesn't work very well, well at all. Um, this is why those kids are growing up and they're struggling and having problems. And it's a nightmare because they don't think that God's word is valuable, is profitable for parenting. And the Bible talks about, you know, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. Well, we can't do that. Okay, don't spare the rod and see what happens. Allow your child to, to not be respectful, to um, not honor their parents. We were talking with the kids this, this week. The Bible doesn't say uh, to children, love your parents. It's really odd. The Bible tells us, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Um, it doesn't say for the, it says honor. Now, again, if you're younger and you still have parents and you have that relationship, you probably feel the tension. <laughs> honor. Give me any other word but honor and I'll do it. Well, there's a reason for that. And God's smarter than us. And God understands what honor means and what that relationship is going to mean. God understands when he tells parents, parents, don't provoke your child to anger. You have a responsibility too. Just because you're the parent, you're not the drill sergeant, right? This is a stewardship. You're, you have these children on loan. You're to present them back to God. So all scripture is profitable. Psalm 119 talks about God's word being a lamp unto your feet. We're all walking in total darkness. We'd be bumping into the walls without God's word that's a lamp. God's word is, is a light, right? Psalm 1 says that we're supposed to, to meditate on it. Day and night. Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is just such a perfect, comprehensive example of how we're supposed to view Scripture, view God's Word, and, and, and how we understand why this is so valuable and so profitable. Notice the contrast. Not only are we supposed to do something, meditate on God's word day and night. We're also supposed to remove ourselves from something. How blessed is the man? How happy is the man? How rewarded is the man who does not what? Walk in the counsel of the wicked. Who does not stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We live in a society today where we surround ourselves with the wicked, with the sinners, and with the scoffer. And maybe we say it's because we're trying to be evangelistic or we're trying to be a light into the world, but who's influencing who? And, and that you just have to check on your own. I, I, I'm, I'm not making any judgments. I'm saying you have to look and say, are, are the people that I'm around, are they influencing me or am I influencing them? Is this world around me influencing me or am I influencing it? Well, happy is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. When I thought of that sitting in the seat of scoffers, I couldn't think of anything more clear than all the students that we have today from K through maybe through college, sitting in their classroom, listening to teachers scoff God, mock the Bible. 
and we pay for it. But, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, notice how God doesn't soften the law. He doesn't say, in God's beautiful, holy word. He calls it law. He doesn't shy away from it. Yeah, there's laws in this book. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates. How often? Day and night. All day. All night. He's thinking about God's law. He's thinking about God's word. And if he does this, there's a profit. There's a reward. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which will yield its fruit in season. We're all trees. We're all supposed to have fruit. We're to bear fruit. We will be known by our fruit. And so if you read God's word, then it's like you're, you're being watered. You're being fed by, by a river that will make you not into a little plant, but a big, strong, thick, healthy tree that no wind's going to knock down. Nobody's going to push you over. It will yield its fruit in season. It will flourish. Its leaf will not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Whatever he does, prospers. What is prospering? Do you even know what prospering is? Read Proverbs. God will define what prospering is, not this world. You know what this world says prospering is? Real big houses, real big vacations, you know, money, trips, right? And these are the people who are killing themselves because they're so happy and thrilled. These are the people who are overdosing because they're so happy and thrilled with what money can buy. It's not true. Why don't we believe it? Verse 4. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. There is a hell, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Scripture, all of Scripture is, is profitable. Cling to Scripture as though it's your lifeline. Because it is. It is your lifeline. Like any plant, any harvest, it needs proper cultivation. You, you hear God's word. You memorize God's word. You, you meditate on it. You read it day and night. Listen to it. Read it. Speak it. Acts 17.11, the Bereans made it a, a habit of examining the scriptures. Why? Because this is the source of, as 1 Peter 1.3 says, this is the source of life and godliness. Finally, I, you know, I had three children gone away at school. And when you're away, you know, you want to communicate. You want to stay in touch, right? And, and so there's so many really cool ways to do that nowadays. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Twitter, Instagram, texting, emails, the phone. I mean, you can stay pretty connected. So as you're, as you're apart from those you love, you, you, you have concerns, you, you, you love them, and you want to send them out a message, right? You, you want to ping them. And so maybe it's one word, maybe it's a photo, maybe it's a sentence. But, but as a parent, I know how, how a loving father desires to instruct his, his family, 
This is what God has done for us in this book. And you know what? Thank the Lord. He, he didn't just send us, you know, like a, a, a character limited tweet, right? You know why? Because he had a lot to say. There's a lot to say. A whole lot to say. This is what God wanted to say to you. And, and, and people have fought and died for this book to come to us. And so our response then to this is to treat it like the treasure that it is. James 1.25 says, don't be like the person who goes in front of the mirror. We all went, most of us went in front of the mirror today and got ready. Um, and you go to the mirror and then you just forget what you look like. You don't know who you look like. Well, you're supposed to go to God's word and not be a forgetful hearer. Don't forget what you hear, but be an effectual doer. See, God has given us his words, thousands of words, and they're all profitable. All of it's profitable. All of it's God breed. All profitable for, for training in righteousness so that you can be adequately equipped. But, but you have to be an effectual doer of it. Not just a hearer. Plenty of people hear and it goes right in one ear and out the other and they walk out the door and they, they don't apply God's word to their life. It doesn't do you any good if you don't apply what God is telling you, what God is instructing you as a loving father. And so, yes, there's, there's work to be done. There's the work of reading it and then there's the work of doing it. And I pray that we do both. Let's pray.